0: When I was an army chaplain, my soldiers asked me all kinds of questions about God, life, relationships, the Bible, and answered them as best I could. They also called me Padre. Welcome to the Dear Padre podcast, where today we're talking about ghosting and the Antichrist. I hope it encourages you in these last days. I don't know if you've ever been ghosted, if you've ever um, experienced that, where someone just kind of stops talking to you. Um, that's hard. It's hard. It's um, a term that's come to us from dating culture um, for someone that you're chatting with, and then suddenly they become a ghost. It's really not applied very well to other relationships that have been going on for a long time that's probably called something else Um, just plain old abandoned or disappeared or departed Um, ghosted is really about an initial meeting that someone disappears from and one of the great heartaches of all of life but particularly from a church context, um, is when someone ghosts the church, when someone departs um, without saying why or when or how. Um, It's something that people in leadership and pastoral ministry feel very deeply. Over the years, they add up and are a source of grief. And like all grief, um, there's really nothing you can do about it. You can try your best to reach out to people and there's nothing you can do. Um, Ghosting, disappearing, departed is part of the tragedy of love. It is part of the struggle of love. It is the um, difficult part of life, I think on so many levels, whether in families, in romantic relationships, in work relationships, uh, school relationships, and particularly for us in church relationships, and the um, First John addresses this: some of the grief that comes from those who go out from us. Um, and I think the context of this time was very different in that when people left the church that first that John is writing to. There weren't a lot of other churches to go to. There weren't any churches to go to at that time. So they were going back to their synagogue or maybe even pagan temple um, or maybe nothing. Um, It was rare in those days for people to not have any religion whatsoever. And so they were probably going back to what they had known before they joined the Christian community. Today, a lot of people when they leave churches go to other churches and that's a really good thing. And that's a wonderful thing. And um I think it's good to acknowledge in any Christian community that it is okay to leave. You know, everyone's a grown-up and grown-ups can leave things and that's okay. Um and you know, if they if people feel up to it to share with leaders why or what are the what they're feeling and thinking um, that's always a blessing. I know it's been a blessing for me um, to have people had those difficult conversations with me. Um, and I think whenever someone leaves, there's a sadness um, that comes from perhaps a misunderstanding, a sadness that says, what could I have done differently? Um, and the situation in First John um, takes a pretty hard line with Those who depart, if they had belonged to us, they would have remained with us. Pretty simple. (laughs) If God had meant them, or if they were meant to be here, they would be here. And if they're not, they're not. Um, It's okay to kind of put grief in those terms sometimes. Sometimes simple explanations can help us with our grief and our sadness, even if it's not always the whole story. And then he gets into the Antichrists. The Antichrists. Um just to call someone an Antichrist is a pretty serious accusation. And most people get their ideas about Antichrists from the Book of Revelation, where there's so several very dramatic scenes about an Antichrist. The Book of Revelation has an unholy trinity, the beast, the false prophet, and the Antichrist, who all kind of work together for their own ends of destroying human lives and the earth. And in 1 John, it's just the Antichrist. He says it's the last hour. 2,000 years later, we're still saying it's the last hour. Uh, this is a Christian belief that we are living in the last hour. And not so much the last hour, perhaps for our Christian lifetime, but for the age of the world. Christians have always adopted a, a view that the world history or divine history or sacred history, um, you know, is somewhere around 6,000 years. And this is fair when it comes to historical record. We have historical data, records, written records going back, you know, about 6,000 years or so. Um, and not much beyond that when it comes to writing uh, or, or um, history. When we go past 4,000 BC, we're into something else, um, mythology, prehistory, um, something else, not necessarily history as we can think of it. And so um, the story in the, in the Bible of God's dealings with people goes back to about 4,000 BC. Now, of course, it goes all the way back to Adam um, and the genealogies go from there. But it was an Anglican Archbishop Usher who counted up the numbers in the Old Testament in the genealogies and came out to I think 4004 BC as when the creation of the world is said to have happened in the Book of Revelation or the Book of Genesis. I think he had September 28th, nine o'clock in the morning, in 4004 BC BCE, um, and you know from a Maybe a more um, full biblical perspective, we could look at that and say the um, the genealogies in G- in Genesis are in a realm of uh, trying to tell us something theologically, something about God, something about humanity, and not necessarily um, creating a chronological timeline, for instance, there are gaps in those ge- genealogies that probably indicate that someone was the ancestor of someone, not necessarily a direct father-son relationship. So you can allow for more time that way. But the idea that the, this is the final stage of human history with God is a pretty old Christian belief. Um, going back to 1 John, going back to what Jesus said, going back to the teachings really of Jesus, ultimately that's where the belief that this is the last days comes from. Um, in our Eucharistic prayers, um, we have this kind of language used. Uh, Eucharistic prayer B, who in these last days has revealed himself to us. So, this is not, um, as some cynics might say, a false belief of Christians that we believe we're in the last days. This is a very profoundly Christian belief. We are to anticipate, as our creed, the one we say every Sunday and every morning says he shall come again to judge the living and the dead. the belief that Jesus is coming back, that there will be a second advent that there will be um a reconciliation a pouring out of god's justice on the earth um, that will happen in the last days is a Christian belief now how it's going to happen and when and where is hard to know, and lots of people will come along and tell you when it will happen and when You should be ready. Um, But Jesus said, you cannot know the day or the hour, which, you know, some people on TV might say, well, you can know the year (laughs) if you can't know the day or the hour. But I still think he meant you can't really know. And so we live in this anticipation. We live in this anticipation of what God can do that is something completely different to right the wrongs, to establish justice on this justice uh, forsaken earth. There is so so little justice um, in this earth. Um, and even our attempts at justice, even our attempts to make things right, often fall flat. And so our cry, even so, come quickly, Lord Jesus, is a cry of those who are seeking deliverance, those who are seeking justice, those who are seeking reconciliation with God. And so um, when he writes about these antichrists that are coming, there's not just one, there's many. And the definition of an antichrist is someone who denies the Father and the Son. Um, This idea that antichrist means anti-messiah, the word Christ is the Greek form of the Hebrew messiah, the anointed one, someone who's anointed with oil. Kings were anointed with oil in the Old Testament um, and some others as well. And so this anointing, Jesus Christ, it's not his last name, it is his title. This anointing, this anointed Messiah who will save us is the Christ. He is the one who is now king. He is the one who will rule and reign, who already rules and is yet to rule. We live in the prophetic already, not yet. Jesus is already ruling, and yet Jesus is still yet to rule. And we live in that tension as Christians in these latter days. And so the Antichrist come along and say, Jesus really isn't the Christ, or Jesus really isn't in a relationship with God the Father. In other words, Jesus really isn't God, and you shouldn't worship him. That is what the Antichrists consistently say. They always divert our attention from the one who can really save us. And while, you know, Protestants for 500 years have said that the Pope was the Antichrist, and others have said that John F. Kennedy was, and others might say Trump was or is, or whoever it is that comes along, I think those who... Um, set themselves up as the saviors of the world, often tend to be antichrists in that they try to divert us from trusting in the justice of God. Um, Christianity has survived every political form on the planet, monarchy, Roman imperial might, uh, democracy, uh, you name any kind of form of government that has been around for the last 2,000 years, which most of them have, uh, we have endured it. We have gotten through it. We have transcended it even. Um, Christianity will survive in any environment. Um, I prefer a democracy where I get a say in what happens to some degree, hopefully. Um, And yet, um, we must recognize that Jesus, Jesus Christ, the Christ, the Messiah, is our true king. And while we participate in human community, not just local human community, but national human community, we participate in our government, our democracy. um, We also recognize that ultimately, justice will be done when Christ returns. And we live for that day. We live in the latter and last days. This doesn't mean we don't build stuff here. We don't work for justice and peace while we have a chance in this earth. It doesn't mean we don't care about people who are suffering or anything like that. We are very much rooted in this world, yet acknowledging that Jesus is our king. And so this word to this early church, that you're going to have people that come and try to trick you, people that divert your attention from Jesus, this is the always the word to the church in the last days. Our attention is easily diverted. So don't give up on Jesus. He is coming again to judge the living and the dead. He is coming where we will see him face to face, amen. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us and lead us not into temptation but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. O Lord, show thy mercy upon us and grant us thy salvation. Endue thy ministers with righteousness and make thy chosen people joyful. Give peace, O Lord, in all the world, for only in thee can we live in safety. Lord, keep this nation under thy care and guide us in the way of justice and truth. Let thy way be known upon earth, thy saving health among all nations. Let not the needy, O Lord, be forgotten, nor the hope of the poor be taken away. Create in us clean hearts, O God, and sustain us with thy Holy Spirit. Or often pronounced uh, Janini luam He was born in 1922 in Akuoli, in Uganda, near the Sudanese border, a place of great conflict and military tension. Um, He became a teacher and then a lay reader, a lay leader in the church, and was ordained as an Episcopal or Anglican priest in 1956 um, in England. He went back to Uganda to assume the responsibility for 24. Congregations, only twenty-four congregations he was in charge of, and um, this is why the Anglican Church in Uganda developed many resources for how to lead a church without a priest. Um, the what we call the African Bible study today comes from mainly from the church in Uganda, where they had these kinds of situations. Where you think about a twenty-four churches rotation. If you visited two or three every Sunday, you're still not getting visited very often for communion. So the churches in Uganda emphasize things like communal Bible study um, instead of the Holy Eucharist with the priest. there. Really beautiful things came out of that. After several years of service, he um, went back. Excuse me. Where is he? Okay, he's back in Uganda. He goes back to England for more study in London. Um, But in 1969, they appoint him as bishop of northern Uganda, where he worked for um, renewal of the Anglican Communion, and he attended the um, gatherings of the newly born Anglican Communion. The Anglican Communion, the Worldwide Fellowship of Churches, is a relatively new thing. It was started in the 1960s to uh, bring together churches that were planted around the world, by Anglican missionaries from England, centered in Canterbury, Kent, England, but ultimately um, all independent, doing what God had called them to do in their own location. Um, So he was elected Archbishop of the whole Church of Uganda, of Rwanda, Burundi, and Boga Zaire at the time. So what's that? Four different nations. He became the Archbishop of a pretty significant leadership role. He brought This brought him into direct contact with the infamous Ugandan military dictator, Idi Amin. You may remember him from the movie, The Last King of Scotland. I think that's Idi Amin played by Forrest Whitaker brilliantly in that movie. Um, He sought to protect his people from the brutality of Amin's regime. In 1976, the university was sacked by government troops and Archbishop Luam was the chair of the university and he drafted a strong letter of protest against the officially sanctioned rape and murder of Idi Amin's soldiers. In 1977, his house was searched by the president's security forces on February 16th. President Amin summoned Luim to his palace. He went there with other Anglican bishops and a Roman Catholic cardinal and senior leaders of the Muslim community after being accused of complicity in a plot to murder the president, which is the ultimate way dictators um, get rid of their enemies, accuse them of trying to kill them. um, Most of the clerics were allowed to leave after being accused of attempted murder. But Archbishop, Archbishop Luam was ordered to remain behind. As his companions departed, Archbishop Luam said, They are going to kill me. I am not afraid. He was never seen alive again. The following the day, on February 17th, the today's anniversary, the government announced that he had been killed in an automobile accident while resisting arrest. Only after weeks had passed, Was Only after some weeks had passed was his bullet-ridden body released to his family for burial. Early in his confrontation with the Ugandan government, Archbishop Luam answered one of his critics by saying, I do not know how long I shall occupy this chair. I live as though there will be no tomorrow. While the opportunity is there, I preach the gospel with all my might, and my conscience is clear before God." Good words for today. O God, whose son, the good shepherd, laid down his life for the sheep, we give thee thanks for thy faithful shepherd, Janini Luam, who after his Savior's example gave up his life for the people of Uganda. Grant us to be so inspired by his witness that we may we may make no peace with oppression, but live as those who are sealed with the cross of Christ, who died and rose again and now liveth and reigneth with thee, and the Holy Spirit, one God, forever and ever, Amen. And I had the blessing of serving with Ugandan soldiers in Iraq while I was there, and I can attest to their Anglican faith and vibrant singing in chapel um, in a really beautiful way. They're so thankful for his legacy in Uganda, which is still strong today.